It's good to see your faces this morning. Hope you're doing well. It's been great in worship for sure. I'd like to ask you to do something right now, if you could. Take a look at the back of the head of the person sitting in front of you. <laughs> Just take a look at the back of the head of the person sitting right in front of you. Focus in on it. Now, this little exercise of looking at the back of someone's head is unfortunately a picture of what often happens in churches. Many people go to church and do nothing but stare at the back of people's heads. Week after week, month after month, sometimes for years, all they're ever doing is looking at the back of the head and never seeing the person's face. You know, a thought occurred to me earlier this week. That could be the head of someone who could change your life. It could be the back of the head of someone who would become your very best friend or someone who would stand with you through your greatest crisis or someone who would pray for you in your hour of need or someone who would open up doors of possibilities for you that God would use in amazing ways to change your life. But if you, all you ever do is look at the back of the head, you'll never get to experience all that God has for you. And so this morning, I want us to try a little experiment because we don't want to be a church that simply looks at people's heads. I want to try a little experiment. So I'm going to count to three, and then I want you to turn around so that the person sitting behind you can see your face, okay? One, two, three. I know you're all looking at the back of the heads the other way. (laughs) So we're in the midst of a teaching series that we're calling Community, Where You and I Belong. And during the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on two things. Deepening our relationships as a church and extending our relationships out into the community around us. Deepening the community within this church family and reaching out in love to the people around us. And we're doing this because we are better together. Not only that, but we are designed for community. We are created in the image of the God who is himself community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God says that he wants us to go through life together, not just on our own. Think about all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. We're back in the Garden of Eden. Everything's perfect. Sin has not entered into the world. And God looks at his man, Adam, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates a partner for him so he could experience community. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on how to deepen our relationships. You and I are created for community. We're wired for relationships. We are made to go through life together. We are formed for a family. And so on your notes, you see a passage from Romans chapter 12. Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. If you would, just circle that little word, connected. Now You may not realize it, but the people sitting next to you, you are connected to them. If you are a part of the family of God, and they are part of the family of God... You are joined together. Paul says later in another translation that you belong to one another. 
Dallas Willard, I love Dallas Willard. He's a great writer, very, you know, a philosopher, and uh, he was a professor during his lifetime and just wrote and said so many really cool things. And he talks about, uh, he made this interesting statement one time. He said that the natural condition for human life is what he called reciprocal rootedness in one another. Now, he uses big terms and uses all kind of philosophical language, but I like that little phrase, reciprocal rootedness in one another. Just like a tree is rooted in the earth where it gets nourished, human beings were created to be rooted in the hearts of other humans. To have that assurance that somebody else loves me. Somebody else is paying attention to me. They pray for me. They watch over me. They're for me. I mean, that is the indispensable condition of a healthy, stable, flourishing life. Um, our well-being depends on us experiencing authentic Christian community. About a decade ago, a guy named Robert Putnam wrote the classic definitive study on community in our world today, and it was called Bowling Alone. Um, it was an interesting little book. And in that book, he cited research that the most isolated people are three times more likely to die than relationally connected people. In fact, Putnam said that if you do nothing else, that if right now if you are not part of a small group, that if you do nothing else but simply join a small group, that you, ch that you cut your chance of dying in the next year in half. And so that's why the theme of our small groups, as you see, is join a group or die. <laughs> Dallas Willard goes on and he says that, that, um, that we all have to have these circles of sufficiency. Another interesting phrase. Because we're not sufficient unto ourselves. We can't just operate on an island all alone. Start with that very first circle of sufficiency that you are part of. The circle of you and your mom. Your mama gave birth to you. And then she went on to hold you and to feed you and to nurture you and to comfort you whenever you cried by telling you everything's okay. Well, for that little circle to be truly healthy, it has to be connected to a larger circle, the circle of a family. And then that family depends on a larger circle, the circle of a neighborhood, and then overlapping circles of schools and workplaces and a whole city. And that city depends on a nation, and the nation depends on a larger circle of a world. Where people are going to flourish and thrive, we have to live in these circles of sufficiency. But are we doing a good job of that? Are we doing a good job of being connected in these kind of relationships? I don't think we are. This world is not a connected world. It is so easy to get disconnected in relationships. It's so easy to get disconnected from your children, from your parents, from your brothers and sisters, from your spouse even. It's so easy to get disconnected from your church family or from your small group. It's just easy to do it. And so to combat this tendency to disconnect from others, we have to be intentional. Relationships are not an accident. If you want to experience good relationships, you have to choose to make relationships a priority. And so how many of you, I, I am hoping, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I am hoping that everybody in this room will participate in a Supper for Six group. 
as Lisa said, if you, if you can't see one on the sheet that, that interests you, start your own. You know, we are hoping that these groups will be kind of the impetus for bringing us together as a family. It's a really interesting thing that's taken place in this church over the last several months. And we had one congregation, PRF, with all of its people and all of its practices and all of its history. We have another congregation, one chapel, with all of its people and all of its philosophies and all of its practices. And we've chosen to come together and to become one body. And there's just all kinds of new things that have come about, things where we've had to change and get comfortable with each other. And it's been difficult sometimes. And, you know, and honestly, it felt for a while, and it maybe still does to some people, that we are two churches operating together in one building, just kind of coexisting. And then you add to that the group of people who have come in since that time, people who were not part of PRF or not part of One Chapel, who are now part of our family. You know, we are just a group of really new relationships. And so our hope is that these Supper for Six groups will be one of the ways that we begin to get to know each other and start out on these journey of friendship where we share each other's stories, where we come to know and experience and love one another. You know, anytime you enter into a relationship, there's a possibility of conflict arising. And so today, we're going to look at what happens whenever conflict comes up in relationships. We're going to look, about, look, going to look at what causes relationships to fall apart? So why do, why do bad or why do relationships fall apart? Why do relationships go bad? What destroys relationships and how do you rebuild them? Or how do you build new relationships? Or how do you prevent relationships from going bad in the first place? We're going to talk about all of that today. And I'm really excited about what I'm going to share with you today. Because I think it has application in so many areas of life. You can apply this with your family. You can apply it with your friends. You can apply it in your marriage. You can apply it in your workplace. You can apply it in your community. You can apply it in your small group. What I'm going to share with you today will, will save you thousands and thousands of dollars in counseling fees. <laughs> and so if you are feeling generous today, just make out your, your check to Dr. Tress. <laughs> You know, and really, this question of what causes relationships to go bad, it's not rocket science. God tells us that every relational um, problem comes down to one of four negative attitudes. Every problem in a relationship comes down to one or more of these problems. They are enemies of relationships. And the first one is selfishness, you see on your sheet. Selfishness destroys relationships. Selfishness is the number one cause of conflict, the number one cause of arguments, the number one cause of divorce. It's the number one cause of war. James tells us in chapter 4 of his letter, what causes fights and quarrels? Well, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. Everything starts with self-centeredness. I mean, truthfully, it's really easy for selfishness to creep into relationships. Normally, you know, when you start a relationship, you work really hard at being unselfish. 
but then over time you get a little comfortable with each other and you start taking things for granted and you just want to feel you know you want to do what you want to do a little bit more and so selfishness creeps its way in just think back whenever you were dating the very beginning of that relationship you did all kinds of sweet things for your significant other but then as time got on you got lazy and you got selfish and it just kind of creeps in and messes stuff up um, we all know that selfishness destroys relationships so why don't we change well we don't change because it it's our nature to be selfish ever since Adam and Eve took that forbidden fruit it has been human nature to be selfish it just comes out of us naturally so I'm going to be honest here this morning I mean, we're in church confession is good for the soul so I just want you to know that I don't think about you most of the time <laughs> I think about me I think about my needs my desires my hurts how I look how I feel I think about me me myself and I and truthfully you don't think about me all the time you think about yourself more than anybody else too if you're anything like me you probably think about yourself all the time I mean one of the conditions of sinful humanity is that we are just sinful people think about little babies from the moment that we are born these little babies precious and innocent they are demanding the attention of those around them you know all these as these cute babies grow some of the very first words they learn are no and mine and by the time that they're 18 months or two years old they're already refusing to listen to others and they're claiming sole ownership of anything they desire I and mean, they are just totally selfish little creatures <laughs> maybe it's better to say we're all totally selfish little creatures um, not only are we naturally prone to selfishness but our society just pushes us towards selfishness everything in our society caters to our self-centeredness every advertisement that comes on TV or the radio you know get this new thing have it your way do this do that whatever pleases you do it self-centeredness tears down relationships it's destructive you can't experience intimacy if you're being selfish Proverbs 28 says selfishness only causes trouble and so if selfishness destroys relationships what builds them what's the antidote to selfishness well that's selflessness selflessness builds and strengthens relationships so what does it mean to be selfless well it means a little bit less of me and a little bit more of you it means I think about myself a little bit less of the time and I think about you a little bit more that's what it means to be selfless I am not the center of the universe you are here too I need to consider you and your desires Philippians chapter 2 tells us look out for one another's interests not just your own you know selfishness or selflessness brings out the best in relationships selflessness builds relationships God's favorite place to teach you selflessness is number one in your family and number two in your small group and why because those are the people that get closest to you those are the people that are getting up close to you on a regular basis I mean it's really easy to be selfless in a crowd 
just like right now. Nobody's demanding anything of you. Nobody's requiring anything of you right now. It's so easy to be selfless in a large gathering like this. But it's when you're in relationships, in close relationships, where you have differences of opinion or different desires or, you know, somebody wants to go to one restaurant, somebody else wants to go to another, where you have to compromise and those sorts of things, that's where you learn to be selfless. Paul writes in Galatians 6, the person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others and ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life and eternal life. Now this is, very, this is a very important verse because it talks about the principle of sowing and reaping. You know, the universe is built on this principle. What you sow, you will reap. What you plant, you will reap. If you plant criticism, people are going to be critical of you. If you plant affirmation, people are going to affirm you. If you go around being jealous of others, they're going to be jealous of you, and so on and so forth. You know, God has just wired it this way. And the thing that we learn from Scripture is that as we give ourselves away, as we are selfless and pour out um, ourselves to others, that we are the most fulfilled. Jesus said in Matthew 16, only those who learn to give their lives away will ever know what it, means, what it truly means to really live. Only those who learn to give their lives away, who learn to be selfless, learn what it really means to truly live. And so if you don't get anything else I say today, the greatest lesson in life is this. Learn to be unselfish. Learn to be unselfish. That's it. It's the number one life lesson. Unfortunately, a lot of people go through life and they never learn the greatest lesson. And they waste their life. They waste the whole reason that they are here on earth, and that is to become like God. God is completely unselfish. Everything that you have is a gift from Him because He gave Himself to you. Now there's a second thing that destroys relationships and that is pride. Pride. Pride destroys relationships. Proverbs 13 tells us pride leads to arguments. Now we've seen that a lot in the presidential debates over the last several months, haven't we? Pride shows up in a whole lot of ways and it, when it comes to relationships. It shows up first in criticism. If you're critical of other people, you have a pride problem. If you tend to be judgmental, if you tend to look down on people, if you tend to be a picky, picky perfectionist, well, you got a pride problem, brother. If you tend to be competitive and you're always comparing, look at her dress compared to mine, look at his car compared to my car. If you're always comparing salaries or comparing spouses or kids or jobs or titles or whatever, well, you got a pride problem. That spirit of com comparing always and, and judging, that's a pride issue. Now, if you got stubbornness, if you find it difficult to say, I'm sorry, if you choke on those words, that, those apologies, if you can never admit that you're wrong, well, you have a pride problem. And when you're too shallow to care about others, Whenever you want to live for yourself, you have a pride problem. 
What does pride look like in a small group? Well, one of the ways that it shows itself is whenever you always got to tell the story that tops the last one. Hey, you did that, but listen to this, you know, that sort of thing. Another way that it shows up in a small group is by always offering advice, but never asking for advice. You know, just simple things like that. And Proverbs 16 tells us, Pride will destroy a person. A proud attitude leads to ruin. I love this passage in the message paraphrase. Um, Eugene Peterson writes, First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. And if you've had a hard fall, it just shows how big your ego was. Pride destroys relationships, but humility builds relationships. Humility is the antidote to pride. It builds relationships. Just look at, at these five things that are listed here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, be humble. All those five things are built on that last one. Be humble. And so how are you and I going to learn to be humble? How are we going to learn humility? Well, that's a tall order. Well, we can't just brew that up. Well, I'm the most humble person in the world. No, we, we can't do that. doesn't work that way. So how do we become humble? Well, it happens by letting Jesus Christ control our thoughts and our hearts and our actions and our attitudes. He has got to be a part of this. Ephesians 4 tells us, let the Spirit change your way of thinking and make you a new person. So how do I become a new person? How do I have my thinking changed? Well, it's by letting the Spirit do His work. You know, the basic law of relationships is this. I tend to become like the people I spend time with. If you're hanging out with a bunch of grumpy people all the time, well, you're probably going to be pretty grumpy yourself. If you're hanging out with happy people, well, you'll probably tend to be more happy. And so if you want to learn humility, if you want to become more humble, spend time with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the epitome of humility. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. For though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He, go, he went, goes on to say that he gave himself away to us. No one has done anything more humble than Jesus. Leaving heaven, coming to earth, setting aside his glory, embracing our human, humanity, all of our limitations and weaknesses. He knew what it was like to be tired, to be hungry, to be lonely. He knew these sorts of things. Jesus lived a life of humility. He embraced little children. He embraced women that the society considered loose. He touched lepers. He didn't care about his reputation. He cared about people. Jesus was completely humble, all the way to the fact that he gave himself away. On the night before he was crucified, um, he washed the disciples' feet. Then he gave himself away on the cross the next day. When I spend time with Jesus... It enables me to become more humble. Now, there's a third thing, third struggle that we all face, and that's the struggle of insecurity. Insecurity destroys relationships. 
In Proverbs chapter 29, it says this, The fear of human opinion disables. When I'm so insecure that all I think about is what you think about me, well, then it just disables my life. I can't function properly. It's an amazing dilemma that we as humans have. We long to be close, but we're also scared to death to be close to people because they might hurt us. We long to have intimacy with others, but insecurity makes us scared to death of that. Insecurity prevents intimacy. You know, you can't be close to someone if there's fear in that relationship. This is why it never really works out for couples who are dating to live together. You know, it just doesn't work in the long run because you never know when the person's going to walk out the door. I mean, there's, there's no lifetime commitment. There's no promise to always be there. And so there's a tendency to hold back because there's this question that hangs in the air. What if it doesn't work out? It's only in a situation where there is a commitment, where there is a promise that I'm in this for the long run. I'm in this for the long haul. Regardless of whether we're getting along right now or not, we are in this together and I'm staying. It's only in that sort of situation where fear kind of goes out the window, insecurity goes out the window, and, and uh, closeness and intimacy rises to the surface. So what do we fear in our relationships? Well, we fear a couple of things. Number one, we fear exposure. We fear that somebody's going to find out what we are really like. And so we fear, and so we hide ourselves. I mean, this goes all the way back to the first man, to Adam. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They took that forbidden fruit. And then God comes walking in the garden that day, and he calls out to them, where are you? And Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. When we're afraid, we hide ourselves. We cover up. We wear masks. We pretend to be people that we're not. Now, what if somebody finds out about my fears? What if someone finds out about my faults? What if someone finds out about my dark side or about that thing that happened long ago? Fear makes us dishonest. It causes us to build up walls. You know, the result is that no one ever really gets to know you. No one gets to know you and you don't get to know other people. And that's one of the reasons that God made you. He made you to be fully known and to fully know someone else, whether, you're, whether you ever get married or not. We're talking about a soul-to-soul intimacy here. You know, God made the family for this, and he made the church for this, that we could be connected in intimacy. So we fear exposure, but we also fear something else. We fear rejection. And this may be the greatest of all human fears, the fear of being rejected. We've all been rejected at some point, and we know how much that hurts. And so we fear it, and we close ourselves off, and we say, I'll never let anybody hurt me again. We build up walls. Maybe you've been hurt by rejection. Um, A boyfriend or an ex or something like that has rejected you and caused a deep wound. Maybe a parent who said, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to measure up. Maybe you felt the sting of rejection from a teacher or a coach or someone else that you looked up to. Maybe even someone who called themselves a Christian. Maybe you felt it in a church or in a small group. You know, this past week I got an email from a lady who 
was asking to be removed from our mailing list. And she said that she and her husband had come to this church for about a year or more, and that she always felt on the outside. And everybody, she witnessed everybody else talking, but no one ever talked to her. No one ever came to know her name. And so she felt, you know, completely excluded. And so she wanted to be removed from our mailing list. That hurts. You know, I'm sorry if you have ever felt that sting of rejection like that. It's a terrible thing. It grieves the heart of God. If anybody understands, though, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus faced the ultimate rejection. They hung him on a cross. He knows what it feels like to be rejected. And, you know, so as one of your pastors, if you feel that you've been rejected in the past, as one of your pastors, I just want to say to you, please, please don't let that harden you. Don't build up a wall. Don't retreat into a shell. That's just a self-imposed prison that you don't want to be in. So when somebody, whenever you refuse to let somebody come in close to you, somebody to get to know you, when you refuse to enter into relationships because you're afraid that you're going to get hurt again, well, you're making a terrible mistake. And so it's my job as one of your pastors to encourage you to take the risk, to step out, to have courage to take that risk again. Because if you'll do that, if you'll open up your life, if you'll lower the barriers, if you'll allow people to come close to you, even if they're going to hurt you, if you'll do that, well, then you'll come alive again in a new way, a way that you never dreamt possible. Ask God for the courage to take the risk again. Ask him for the courage to be open and to be vulnerable. Insecurity destroys relationships. And so what builds them? Well, we all know the answer to this, and it is love. Love builds relationships in first john chapter 4 we read this love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear if we are afraid it shows that his love has not been perfected in us so how does that work how does love expel fear well here's what it does it takes the focus off of you and it puts it on the other person that's how love makes the difference in any situation, any relationship, anytime you feel nervous or you feel insecure, whenever you focus on the other person, it has the tendency to throw fear out the window. So how do we find the power to focus on another person? Well, it's by remembering how much God loves us. It's focusing in on how much God loves us, living in that place where we know that he loves us more than we could ever imagine. When that gets down into the core of our being, when it sinks down into our bones, man, that is an incredibly wonderful way to live. I know how much God loves me. That's what we get to know. We get to know how much he loves me. And so we don't have to worry about other people anymore. We don't have to live to please them. We don't have to try to measure up or reach their expectations or anything like that. Suddenly, my identity, my self-worth, they're not caught up in what you think of me anymore. They're caught up in what God thinks of me. They're caught up in what he thinks of me. He's, he embraces me. He accepts me. All of us want that kind of confidence. We want to go through life secure. So how do we get it? Well, the Bible tells us here in 1 John 4, again, the answer. 
All who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. And we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in Him. God is love. And as we live in God, our love grows more and more perfect, so we will not be afraid. As we live in God, that's the key. Keeping your life connected with the love of God. You'll never overcome insecurity overnight. It just doesn't happen that way. You don't snap your fingers and all of a sudden live a confident life. But you can take the first step today. And that's by beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or if you already have a relationship with Him, it's by deepening that relationship. Stepping into greater and greater levels of understanding of His love. When you say yes to Jesus, you open yourself up to an incredible experience of security and the last thing real briefly and we won't we'll be done is the last thing that destroys relationships is resentment resentment destroys relationships because we're all imperfect we're all going to hurt other people and other people are going to hurt us whether intentionally or unintentionally you're going to be hurt in life that's just a fact and what's more important is what are you going to do with that hurt are you going to allow it to make you better or are you going to allow it to make you bitter? You know, living with resentment does nothing but hurt you. It withers your insides. It causes you to grow dry and dusty and not be able to love those around you. And so Paul writes in Colossians 13, You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, you may think of someone that it'd be incredibly difficult for you to forgive. And you may say, I just can't do it. I can't forgive that person. Well, that's why you need Jesus. You may not be able to. Maybe you can't. But Jesus can help you to forgive them. Human love can only go so far. And you need God's supernatural love in your life. Real briefly, we're going to look at Titus chapter 3. Paul writes, Once our lives were full of resentment and envy, but then Christ saved us, not because we were good enough to be saved, but because of his kindness and love, by washing away our sins and giving us the new joy of the indwelling Holy Spirit. I mean, God puts his spirit of love in my life um, because of all that Jesus our Savior uh, did on the cross so that he could declare us not guilty in God's eyes. I mean, this is an amazing truth. So you need to experience God in your life. You need to allow resentment to go away and you need to allow God's love into your heart. You know, some of you are still allowing things that have happened to you in the past to affect the way that you live in the present. And that's just never a good thing. We talked, you know, Alan and and Taylor talked about some of those students at camp kind of turning loose of some of those things. It's never a good thing to hold on to resentment and anger. Let go of it. Did that other person deserve your forgiveness? No, they didn't deserve your forgiveness. But do you deserve God's forgiveness? Did you deserve his forgiveness? No. But God did it anyways out of his grace and out of his kindness. And so he can empower you to forgive those who've hurt you in the past. You know, all this starts by opening up your life to Jesus and allowing his love 
to come into your heart. So if you would, close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. You know, as we close, I just want to ask you some questions real quickly. First, who do you need to be more unselfish with? Who have you been critical or judgmental of? Have you been willing to admit, hey, I'm wrong. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Who do you need to say that to? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Have you ever been afraid of being real with other people? And you've held your cards close and you've denied um, your emotions and you've hidden your emotional nakedness. Have you been doing that? Is there anybody in your life that you have shared that secret with? You know, you're only as sick as your secrets. So who do you, who do you need to forgive? All four of these antidotes um, to resentment and insecurity and selfishness and pride, all four of the antidotes are found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you get that relationship with him lined up and all the other ones fall into place. You need to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You need to allow him to call the shots, to be the boss. You need to allow him and his love um, into your life and then you'll start to have great relationships with other people so I want to encourage you to pray this prayer in your heart dear Jesus you've seen every relationship I've ever had the good the bad and the ugly you know how selfishness and pride and insecurity and resentment messes them up and I admit that I need your help Jesus in my life and in my relationships so as much as I understand, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life in this moment and to live through me, to put your love down deep into my heart and to share your love with those around me. I want a fresh start this morning. And so I embrace what you have to offer. Amen. Amen. One of the things that we're going to do this morning is we are going to celebrate communion together you know one of the things that we can do to allow god's love to saturate our lives um, in such a way that it changes us and in such a way that we begin to relate to others differently is to receive communion communion is a sacrament it's a way in which god's grace enters into our life it's a way in which god transforms us from the inside out when we receive this bread and this cup which is a symbol of, cru of Christ's crucified body and his blood, when we pause to ponder, to ponder what it is that Jesus has done for us in giving himself, and when we receive these elements in faith, God changes us. He changes us on the inside, changes our heart, changes our mind, changes um, you know, those things deep down inside of us. And so we're going to be taking communion here this morning. And as a church, we do this um, as what we call open communion. Um, communion is available to every person in this room who calls themselves a, a Christian. Everyone who is a believer in Jesus, you can take part. You don't have to be a member of this church. And so I want to remind us um, that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God and he broke that bread and he gave it to his friends and said, do this in remembrance of me. And in that same way, he took a cup of wine after supper.
that and he said, hey, this cup, it's the new covenant between me and you, between God and his people. It's an agreement that is confirmed in my blood. And so do this in remembrance of me. Then the Apostle Paul goes on and he says in 1 Corinthians, he says that every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, that we proclaim the death of our Savior. And so this morning we come and we receive this bread and this juice in faith. We want to invite you to come to exit your row from the right and to come up and to get a piece of bread and to dip it into the juice, to return back to your seat and just to have a moment with Jesus today. So do that, we pray. Okay, Daniel.